Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Grace's on the Case. I'm Gracelyn Keller, and today I wanted to cover a case that I feel deserves way more media attention than it's gotten. This case actually reminds me of the Delphi case because there's a recorded phone call between our victim, Amber, and her brother while she was with the prime suspect. But unlike the Delphi case, this one has gotten virtually no coverage. And I believe that in part, this is because she is an indigenous woman of the Mikisu Cree First Nation. So I'm diving into this case with the hopes that my coverage can bring this case closer to an arrest, just like the Delphi case recently had. This is the story of Amber Takaro. On August 17, 2010, Amber Takara was at home with her 14-month-old son Jacob and her mother Vivian when a friend stopped by and invited her and her son on a trip south to Edmonton. Amber's mother expressed reservations about the trip, but Amber was excited by the invite and decided to go. The next day, the trio flew from Fort McMurray, Canada to Edmonton. They checked into a motel that evening in Nixu, a town just outside of Edmonton, because it had cheaper room rates than the city itself. They planned to head into Edmonton the following day. Between 7.30 and 8.30 p.m. that evening, Amber left the motel room, leaving Jacob in her friend's care. Now, there are some conflicting reports here. Some sources say that she left to get groceries, while others say that she was just too excited to wait until the following morning to head into the city. So she decided to go that night. I could not find an official statement from her travel companion or police confirming the exact reason. But whatever it was, Amber was using hitchhiking as the means to get where she was going. Amber's mother had always told her to be on the phone when hitchhiking as a way to deter anything bad from happening, even if it was only an act and no one was actually on the other line. And honestly, this is good advice. I mean, I've definitely pretended to be on the phone or actually called someone if I've had to walk alone in the dark or I'm in an Uber and beginning to feel uncomfortable, any situation like that. So when Amber was picked up by an unidentified man who said he'd take her toward Edmonton, she remembered her mother's advice and called her brother from the car. Now, her brother was incarcerated at this time, so by default, the phone call was recorded. And this is the call I referenced at the top of the show that would ultimately serve as the prime piece of evidence in this case. So the next morning, August 19th, Amber did not return to the room, and her friend finally decided to call Amber's mother, Vivian, to let her know she had been with Jacob all night and could not get a hold of Amber. Vivian, knowing it was extremely out of character for her daughter to not be in contact, especially while away from her son, contacted the Royal Canadian Mounted Police immediately after the phone call with Amber's friend. At this time, Vivian attempted to file a missing persons report, but the response from RCMP was that Amber was, quote, probably out partying, unquote, and that she'd just turn up soon. Vivian was told she must wait 24 hours before filing Amber as a missing person. Little sidebar here, I am not sure how it works in Canada, but at least here in the U.S., there is no waiting period to file a missing persons report. That 24-hour rule that police often tell people, like they said to Vivian, is a myth. There is no law saying that you must wait a certain number of hours before making an official report, and if you are ever in the situation of reporting a loved one missing, insist to authorities that you know your rights and you know your loved one's typical behavior and will not be waiting. Be loud, be annoying, be whatever you need to be to get the assistance you require from authorities. Squeaky wheel gets the grease, you guys. 
Anyway, Vivian was upset by this, knowing that her daughter never leaves Jacob for long periods of time, and because she felt that RCMP were playing into harmful racial stereotypes, assuming that she was out partying. And this is just the first stumble in a long list of issues, and honestly just blatant disregard for Amber by the authorities. The next one came on August 28th, 10 days after Amber went missing, when a few reports of sightings came into the police from the Edmonton area, as well as social media activity. Instead of verifying the validity of these reports, the RCMP instead decided to take them at face value and remove Amber from the missing persons database without any further investigation. Then a few days later, a media relations officer from the Edmonton area with the RMCP told a newspaper that there was no evidence that Amber was in danger. This decision has been widely criticized as a huge compromise to the case in those early days, as it halted the investigation and prompted the RCMP to completely disregard Amber as a missing person. The family was already feeling like Amber's case wasn't being taken seriously or being investigated thoroughly enough, so this move really pushed things over the edge in an already deteriorating relationship between the authorities and the Takaro family. It took Vivian almost a month to get Amber back on the missing persons database, but by this time they had already lost crucial investigation time where no one in law enforcement had been looking for her. A short time after this, the family also learned that the possessions Amber left at the hotel in Nisku were left unprocessed by police for months and then were eventually destroyed without the family's knowledge. They were troubled that none of the items, which could have served as potential evidence, were even processed, and that they were not returned to them instead of being destroyed. The RCMP also waited months to interview anyone involved in the case, including Vivian and Amber's friend who had traveled with Edmonton to her that weekend, showing incredible neglect for the timeliness and urgency of this case. Along with this, the description of the man she was seen getting into the car with that night, the one who you hear on that phone call and who remains a major person of interest, has never been released to the public. And speaking of the phone call, the RCMP waited until August of 2012 to release one minute of what is a 17-minute long call between Amber and her brother. I've found the actual recording online, and I'd like to go over it with you now. So here is the call. Bye. We're just heading south of uh, Beaumont, or north of Beaumont. We're heading north of Beaumont. Yo, where are we going? No, this is a... Are you f***ing kidding me? You better not take, you better not take me anywhere I don't want to go. I want to go into the city. Okay. Yo, we're not going in the city, are we? No, we're not. Yes. Then where the f- are these roads going to? 50th Street. 50th Street. Are you sure? Absolutely. Yo, where are we going? 50th Street. 50th Street? 50th Street. So from this, you can clearly hear that Amber is suspicious of the driver. And to me, at least, I think you can tell the driver is being deceptive of which direction they're going. 
He even slips up and says that they're going south, the direction they were proven to actually be headed, instead of north toward the city. And then he corrects himself. And what boggles my mind here is that the RCMP has this audio, this phone call, and still publicly stated that they believe that Amber wasn't in danger. You can draw your own conclusions after hearing it for yourself, but honestly, I find that grossly negligent. But anyway, after the audio was released, the RCMP do come out and say they believe Amber was the victim of a homicide, and their hopes in releasing this recording was that somebody could come forward and hopefully identify this person that she was with through the voice heard on the phone call. So three different women actually do come forward saying that they recognize the voice on the recording, and get this, all three of them identified the same man. So the RCMP said that they investigated this and they actually cleared this man of any involvement in the case. This is just another huge jaw on the floor moment for me because I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say, if three whole people identify the same person from an audio recording, that is not a coincidence. And yeah, the RCMP said they cleared him, but let's remember their attitude and general apathy toward Amber in the first place. They wouldn't even recognize her as being in danger and removed her from the missing persons database the first chance they got. So in my mind, I think it is totally reasonable to believe that they did not look into this guy that hard. And plus, they've never released the description of the driver witnesses saw when Amber got into the car that night, making it impossible for these women who believe they know who this man is to have another resource to check their claim against. And again, the RCMP could have their reasons for clearing this person. Maybe he wasn't involved at all. But three whole people just doesn't seem like a coincidence to me. So then, on September 1st, 2012, just days after the phone call was released to the public, a group of horseback riders stumbled upon a human skull in rural Leduc County, just outside of Nixu. After contacting authorities, a two-day-long ground search was conducted, and the remains found were identified as Amber Takaro through dental records. No cause of death was released. And just a quick sidebar here, even though this discovery did come just days after the audio was released, the two events are not connected. It was just a coincidence that they happened to be close together. So anyway, after Amber was officially identified, the RCMP's K Division of Missing Persons Unit took over the case. And this actually is a special unit that investigates homicides and disappearances of vulnerable populations. And honestly, this may be the first good thing that was done in this case by the RCMP. And it hopefully means that the investigation is being handled by people who will actually take it seriously. So now with the investigation transitioning from a missing person to a homicide, there are a few questions raised about Amber's case being connected to others from the area. The biggest came because the partial remains of four other women had all previously been found within kilometers of Amber. These victims were Edna Bernard, who went missing on September 22, 2002, Katie Sylvia Ballantyne, who went missing on April 28, 2003, Dolores Brower, who went missing on May 15, 2004, and Corey Ottenbright, who went missing on May 9, 2004. All of these women were indigenous and had been hitchhiking at the time of their disappearances, just like Amber. This kind of raised the question of a possible serial killer operating in the area. 
And though no connection has ever been formally made between all five of these cases, the RCMP have publicly stated that they cannot rule out the possibility of a serial killer. But again, at this time, no concrete evidence has emerged to prove that they are connected, that there is or was a serial killer operating in this space at the time. In 2013, the RCMP placed two billboards in the area where the remains were found, hoping to generate new tips, but unfortunately nothing came of this effort. In March 2014, Vivian filed an official complaint with the chair of the Commission of Public Complaints about the RCMP, citing a whole list of issues, including the downplay of Amber as a missing person and the destruction of her property without proper processing and notice. Since this complaint, Vivian, family members, and other activists have spoken at numerous rallies and events for missing and murdered Indigenous women, hoping to see changes in RCMP policy. Some major points include a ban on police stereotyping victims and disciplinary actions for officers that are found doing so, plus a ban on authorities telling families that they must wait 24 hours to file a missing persons report. In 2018, an independent federal review of the RCMP's handling of Amber's case found that the investigation was deficient, finally confirming the family's belief that not everything had been done properly or to the fullest extent possible. The report detailed that not all officers were properly trained or following their training and that RCMP policy and procedure was not often followed throughout the course of this case. This included the destruction of Amber's property, removing Amber from the missing persons database, and improper handling of witness statements. The review did, however, dispute the family's claim that the mishandling of Amber's case was due to racial bias. In total, 17 recommendations were made to amend RCMP policy and procedure. The commissioner agreed to implement all of these recommendations. Unfortunately, the full report has not been made public, so at this time, I'm unable to tell you what these recommendations were or if any of them were actually implemented. Amber's family says that while the report gave them validation, it took the commission over double the time they were told initially, and they would not be at peace until justice is served for Amber. In 2019, the family received a formal apology on behalf of the RCMP for their deficient investigation. The Takaros did not accept this apology and are seeking financial compensation, according to their lawyer. Later the same year, the family filed paperwork in hopes to exhume Amber's remains for DNA testing as their deep distrust of the RCMP has led them to be unsure if the remains found were in fact hers. The family cited inconsistencies with some of the fillings found in the skull's teeth in comparison with Amber's dental records and want to be absolutely certain that it is her. They're hoping to test her son Jacob's DNA against the skull, and this process is still ongoing. The final update in the case came in 2020 when a man came forward on Facebook claiming his father had killed Amber and was connected to multiple other missing and murder cases in the area. Police looked into this, but many of the cases he referenced had already been closed and had no connection to each other. The RCMP noted this man had also made false allegations against his father in the past, but they are saying that they're continuing to investigate his claims. And with that, the case remains where it sat since 2012 when Amber was found. There hasn't been any new updates or evidence, and the RCMP still lists the case as open. The most popular theory is that Amber was the victim of a serial killer operating in the area. But like I said earlier, it's never been proven that Leduc County had a serial killer, even though the RCMP do acknowledge that it is a possibility. 
Unfortunately, until someone comes forward or more evidence is found, I just don't think the family will ever find the answers they're looking for. And I see this as a totally solvable case, y'all. The witnesses, the audio recording of the prime suspect, the people out there who are convinced that they know whose voice is heard on that recording. But unfortunately, due to all of the issues with the way that the RCMP handled this case, so much valuable time and evidence was lost. It's been 12 years since Amber disappeared. She was a daughter, a sister, a mother, a friend, and her family and community deserves to know who killed her. If you have any information about the disappearance and murder of Amber Takaro, you can submit a tip to the Alberta RMCP at 780-412-5261 or the Leduc RCMP at 780-980-7267. You can also submit an anonymous tip via Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222-8477. If you'd like to learn more about how Indigenous women go missing or are murdered at disproportionately high rates, visit gracesonthecasepodcast.com and resources for statistics on this issue will be linked in the show notes for this episode. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review if you enjoyed this episode. As always, all of my source material will be listed on the show's website, gracesonthecasepodcast.com, and you can contact me there or through Instagram DM at gracesonthecasepodcast for comments, corrections, or suggestions for future cases. I'll see you all for our next case. Music.